0: this episode of john talks features nicole o'hara a multimedia journalist for spectrum in raleigh north carolina i met nicole at the saint john student tv station and she was always doing something at the station anchor reporting whatever it was on air nicole was there nicole has had a nomadic career interning for different markets in san antonio and tampa and in new york most notably for nbc news cnbc before finally catching a break as the evening anchor mmj and producer for abc fox alaska and if that sounds like a lot trust me it is where she did everything and you'll hear her talk about that we chat about covering the protests now in north carolina how the application process went for her when it came to finding jobs and her departure from alaska and now her job at spectrum it was a fun chat so without further ado here's nicole o'hara First off, congratulations on the promotion to Raleigh, and you picked the best time to move cities. I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which you knew at the time that you were going over, nobody knew that uh, the protest, and the Black Lives Matter movement was going to happen, but when it did. But what has this last month and a half or maybe two months been like for you? What's the experience been like?
1: Um it's definitely been a crazy experience. First of all, even just moving and finding a job during a pandemic was really stressful. Um I knew that I, you know, was not going to stay in Alaska. Uh, I can't even I was on a non-compete for the entire state. So no matter what, I knew I had to leave Alaska and it was right in the midst of the pandemic. It was in March and I was like, am I even going to get hired anywhere? You know, I applied to so many places. Everybody was taking their job postings down. So I honestly was getting kind of nervous, um, but I had already done an in-person interview in Raleigh back in February, but it had been two months had passed before I even heard from them. So I was like, oh, I'm sure I didn't get this job, but I really wanted it because it's such a good market. I love the station. Um, it really just would have worked out perfectly. Um, so I was in Alaska for about a month uh, without a job, trying to figure things out. And then I got a call from them and they needed me to start like in three weeks. So I immediately moved everything, which was just so crazy. Um, Just during the pandemic, I was in Texas um, for two weeks on like a mandatory quarantine. I even had a, like an officer come to my door to make sure that I was like abiding by that quarantine, which I thought was crazy. I didn't think they were actually going to do that. Um, How does that work? Like,
0: do they come every day at the same time?
1: So I I only had them come once. Um, So whenever I like, you know flew in from Alaska to San Antonio like this little alarm sounded and um, you know all these officers were here we had to sign this sheet that said you are now under a strict you know 14 day mandatory quarantine like if you break it you can go to jail or you're fined so I had to sign it and immediately go home and I was my parents and I were like oh they're probably not gonna this isn't like they're not gonna check on us you know but either way I was gonna stay home But I just really didn't believe they were going to check on us. And it was like two days later. I had someone at my door. So I was shocked. shocked. And also when my mom came, uh, she helped to move me in Raleigh. When she flew back to Texas, they checked on her not even once but twice. So that was pretty crazy. So I don't really know if there's like a rhyme or reason to who they check or not. Because they actually didn't check on my stepdad, only on my mom. So I don't know. But that was really crazy. And staying in a hotel on the road, getting here, being like the only person in a hotel room and the entire hotel. Uh, So that was just very interesting. I also had to find my apartment without seeing it in person. Um, I had to only go off online because they weren't allowing in-person tours. So the whole move was definitely interesting. And then the second I got to work, I had about two weeks that were kind of like an easy training period. Um, I had to get used to new equipment and everything and get set up. And then you know, all of a sudden George Floyd happened and this whole movement was sparked. And then my first day, actually not training anymore um, on my own in the field was um, actually the Saturday here when the protest happened. The first of all the protests. Um, Luckily though, um, I was not like in the line of any tear gas fire or anything like my other colleagues. They had reporters um, all across the state at different protests. I was in Durham that first Saturday when the protest started here, in Raleigh, and um, Durham was peaceful the entire time. Um, but all my other, all my other colleagues, I was, you know, I worked a day shift, so six o'clock. I ended up going till about eight. That's when the protest died down in Durham. I get home, I turn on Spectrum, and you know, my colleagues are like choking on tear gas. <laughs> It was just crazy. And I honestly felt kind of bad. I was like, wow, I really kind of feel, I felt bad because I I was the only one with the peaceful protest, So I kind of also felt like I was missing out on something, not being there on the ground. Um, But since then it was nonstop protest coverage and it's still pretty much like that um, to this day. This past weekend got kind of crazy too, but it's all been pretty peaceful. So I've never been in danger. Um, And yeah, it just feels You know, I feel like right now, more than anything, being a journalist feels important, you know, which is at least kind of nice. Um, So it's been, I mean, it's been crazy. It's a a shame that we have to report on these issues, but, um, but it has really been just an experience to be there on the ground at these protests and interact with people that I've been interacting with. So, yeah.
0: What precautions do you take going into a protest? Because obviously you don't know if there is going to be tear gas. You don't know if they're going to um, stop being peaceful. Um, what is your mindset like? And and number two, is there an adrenaline rush? Like, are you are you nervous? Like, what are you feeling in that moment? Because You're still human.
1: Yeah. Oh no, for sure. So whenever I whenever I've done the day protests, which I've more so done day protests than night protests. I think I've only done maybe like three night protests. Um, Day is a lot more calm. You know, you're not really nervous because things typically, at least in North Carolina, haven't gotten crazy in the day. It really kind of starts once the sun goes down. Um, But you never know. Um, I think, honestly, the the hardest part of these protests, I think is just being in the heat and with all your equipment and then all the walking that you're doing on top of then having to like, you know, get on the sidewalk and edit something really quickly to send back to the station. And that sort of thing. Um, I know some reporters have kind of gone. Th- you're you're sometimes told to wear like cover up all of you in case there's tear gas, so like wear long sleeves. But it's like almost 100 degrees here. I was like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm like, whatever. I'll just deal with it if that happens. Like I'd rather be somewhat comfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely an, adre- an adrenaline rush. I remember, I think it was almost two weeks ago at this point. I'm like, all oh, my things are kind of colliding into one, but. We, um, you know, it had been a peaceful protest um, pretty much like all evening. I was working the night shift that day. Um, they already had curfews at 10 o'clock. And at nine o'clock, I mean, it was a swarm of people. I mean, there was a rust that there was, we were just covering like the initial protest that was there and we're like, oh, this is getting, oh, this this very peaceful. There's not that many people, it's kind of winding down. And then all of a sudden we just hear noise and a whole bunch of like chanting and everybody just turns. And there are, I mean, at least a thousand people coming down the main street, uh, Fayetteville Street in Raleigh coming up to the Confederate monument. And I was like, oh no, things are about to get crazy. <laughs> um, but actually they didn't, it, it, was, it was really nice. Everyone just had, um, there was speeches uh, on the Capitol, on the Capitol grounds and there was a moment of silence. So, and, and actually the organizers right at about 9.30, then they kind of called it off and everybody went home. So luckily it hasn't been, it hasn't been bad at all. But our station, in terms of precautions, um, after about the first weekend, um, uh, Spectrum made everyone um, go with a security guard. So we don't go alone. I always was with a photographer, so there's no like one man banding these protests. And on top of that, every day we are with a security guard that they have hired. So there's always at least three of us at a time you know, wherever we are amidst the protests. So that was honestly super nice. And I love that the company did that because you definitely feel a little better. And and also too, if you're filming or going live, at least you have the, kind of the security guard to also kind of block the people that would like to kind of go into the camera. So it's been helpful.
0: Yeah. Um- it seems as if these protests have taken on a different weight than in the past. I remember um, the Trayvon Martin verdict and, and Michael Brown and, and uh, obviously Eric Gardner here in New York City. Um, and I remember that there were protests, but they weren't at the magnitude of this. And you know, I've got a few theories on this. I think, number one, I think the country, you know, after being holed up in their ho- in their homes for almost two months now, um, we're obviously starting to feel frustrated. Um, and then obviously, the Black Lives Matters movement Uh, People are finally fed up, and and I think you you combine that with the pandemic, um, regardless of your politics, this country is divided. You're either on one side or the other. We're not really seeing a lot of people in the middle ground. Um, I'm, you know, I'll I'll put my hand up and say I'm in my New York City bubble. It's a blue state. Um, Everybody loves the Democrats over here, a majority, overwhelming majority. Um, I know it's a different case in North Carolina. What have been some of the dialogues that you've been hearing from protesters and people, maybe even police officers, too, um, what What is the sense like in Raleigh um, and even Alaska to 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 a different extent? Because I know Alaska is a bit of a red state as well.
1: Yeah, it's been definitely different for me. I, I, I don't know how much you actually know, too, about my childhood in terms of moving around because I've lived in, I was born in Kentucky, but have no relation to Kentucky. We just kind of happened to be there for like two years. And I lived in New Jersey, Tampa, Florida, and San Antonio, Texas for about the same amount of time. And then I went to college in New York City. Um, so I kind of, I, it's, it's funny because, you know, when people say, when, when I say oh I'm from Texas, they're like, Oh, you know, they all just all automatically assume, you know, it's super country, a red state. And to be honest, Raleigh is way more country <laughs> than any place I've ever lived, which is funny. San Antonio, you know, um, is it's, it's more Southern Texas, which is a lot different than, than North Texas in a lot of areas. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, it's been interesting More people have country accents here. <laughs> and also too, I know that Texas does have Confederate monuments. Um, but I actually, in my, I've never seen a Confederate monument before until I came here, which was a totally different experience for me. Um, and you know, a lot, as you know, a lot of people have strong opinions on, on these monuments and that's definitely been a dialogue, you know, that's where these, these speeches are being held. They're being held literally on these monuments. Even have steps. They have flares and that's where um, these organizers of these protests are giving their speeches. Uh, so I feel like it's just, it's just very interesting. And 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 that's that's really the conversation. The fact that you know they're standing there, you know, speaking their truth on top of these statues that they, you know, wholeheartedly feel um, are kind of a slap in the face you know and and that's that's a bit of a you know issue that i never was really around in terms of like to tackle that was you know in san antonio there's into my knowledge there's no confederate monuments obviously in new york city i'm i'm kind of used to kind of being in that blue state uh sort of uh, arena (laughs) and alaska is a red state but it's different um you know alaska was interesting they, first of all, it's more like, I really didn't feel like I was in a red state there. As you know, you're in New York, you know, you're in a blue state, you're in Texas, you know, you're in a red state. And I know Alaska is definitely red, but, but it's interesting. There's, um, it's first of all, just so spread out <laughs> and people just kind of, Alaskans are funny. They can just kind of keep to themselves a lot of the times, you know, like, you know, I never once saw like a Trump sign anywhere in Alaska in terms of just and in here, anywhere that I'm driving, you know, if I'm, if I'm just driving like 15 minutes out of town, I was going to this, it, w- it was an apex. So it's a smaller town, but again, only like 20, 30 minutes. And I saw this big, huge Trump sign in wood, um, nailed to somebody's uh, tree. You know what I mean? And you don't see that in, in Alaska. So it is totally different. Um, But yeah, but in terms of conversations here, um, I even spoke to one girl who said that she was originally from Buffalo and she just moved here um, within the last like five years. And she was saying that, you know, she definitely has experienced way more racism here in Raleigh than she ever did in New York, Um, you know, which is really sad. Uh, And in terms of the police officers, I will say though, there is, it's really great to see so much diversity. in in um, just in the different police departments. Uh, I've spoken to three police chiefs since I've been here and all three police chiefs are women and they're black. Um, so that's been really great to see. And it's also, you know, just in talking with them, they've said it's it's hard because, you know, everybody's mad at them. And then they're saying, you know, I I feel the same way, you know, and, and I'm trying to make these changes in, in my department. So this doesn't happen here. You, you know, you guys don't have to worry changes are happening, this isn't happening here, not with us, and they're trying to, you know, restore faith in the local police departments here. So that's really been the conversation, and I mean, you're right, people have just have had enough, so.
0: To, and, and obviously this is a case by case basis, uh, basis but uh, I'm curious with the police departments, do they look at the news media, or specifically like, here comes Nicole O'Hara, do they look at the media as the enemy? Do they look at it as an opportunity to explain themselves? Because it seems as if on a state-by-state basis, there are some states that can't wait to get in front of the camera and say, hey, listen, um, we feel you, like you just said, like the police chief say, hey, we hear you. Um, we agree with you peacefully protesting. You know, we're on your side. And then you've got other states or other counties where it seems as if it's, you know, the, the enemy. So what what have you seen in Raleigh?
1: Um, you know, everybody's been pretty, pretty nice. You know, I definitely... And even in Alaska, you know, there's always going to be some politicians that don't like to be on camera and do kind of see it as the enemy. And some love it, you know, and they think it's a way to get their message across. Um, but so far, obviously, I'm still new. I've only, you know, been here for just a little over a month now. Um, so I'm sure I'll find other instances where it's not the case. But at least, at least in this case, you know, I've, like I've said, I've, you know, had these one-on-one interviews with. Three police chiefs now, and it was very easy to to get these interviews set up. You know, sometimes they kind of are like, "Oh, not today." The next day, and they kind of push you off, or or they prefer one station over another. <laughs> and um, luckily, so far, I haven't had that experience, and it does seem like everybody has been really willing to speak um, and you know just kind of get their voices heard, so the public can hear them and, and their side of things. So so far, it's been pretty open in terms of that conversation.
0: And then in terms of protesters too, let's say you've got, you know, John Doe's ready to speak. Um, you, you know, like, like for instance, you're looking for a man on the street interview. Um, how do you, is there any pre-interview ritual that you do or anything to try and calm them down because people are not used to speaking in front of the camera. I feel like our generation is more nuanced in terms of speaking in front of the camera, but a lot of people can be shy. A lot of people can be too anxious. Um, you know can go over the top Um, how do you calm down your interviewer or do you just let them do you just let them go and see what you can use and what not to use
1: so it just depends in terms of I mean especially in the past two, if I'm ever having to do like a live interview uh, you know, with them right next to me on live television, I do typically like talk to them beforehand. I talk to a few people and see, you know, who's gonna give, you know, there's some people who are the type of people you ask them the question and they give you two words back to your answer. So it's obviously not the person that you are going to try, at least um, if you have an other options. Um, but I actually, in terms of these protests, I haven't interviewed anybody like straight on live on TV with me, I'm typically just doing a live shot, passing to a BOSOT or explaining what's going on um, in terms of the protest and then passing to a SOT. So um, in terms of what's been happening recently, no, I really just kind of, I'll pick either just someone, just someone that calls out, <laughs> called out to me um, or one of the organizers. And yeah, I mean, I pretty much just let them say whatever they want to say, you know, um, a lot of the times, I mean, pretty much actually every time there hasn't been a time at the protest where I've asked someone if they want to be interviewed and they've said no. They're pretty much very much about it and like I said you know want to get their voices heard and their opinions heard. Uh, So yeah I pretty much just ask them the questions and I let them say whatever they want to say and you know the best one or two sound bites I use for my package or my thought. Um, But it's been at least it's really nice. You know, as a reporter, sometimes man on the streets, people hate doing man on the streets because so many people are like, no, I don't want to talk to you. But these protests, you know, everybody is there because they want to be involved. Uh, So it's been actually, it's been easy in terms of trying to get people on camera because everybody just wants to express their thoughts.
0: All right, let's get into the Nicole O'Hara story. Uh, (laughs) I know that you said that you've been nomadic throughout your entire life. Uh, What am I getting wrong as somebody who's in the New York City bubble about Alaska, what doesn't, uh, what don't the rest of the 49 other states know about Alaska that you wish we did know?
1: Oh, gosh, there's so many things. I feel like I, I honestly love Alaska. Um, It's so funny, you know, telling everybody that I've talked to, you know, they're like, oh, like, where'd you move here from? And I say Alaska, and everybody, Alaska, like, (laughs) that's verbatim is what they say. And um, it's just so funny. I feel like you know, you have to, have you been there? I have not. <laughs> okay, well, you have to go, but you have to go in the summer, not the winter. It's a bit cold, but um, I don't know, just what they have wrong. I mean, it really feels like you're in another country. It's it's pretty bizarre. Um, I mean, it, by by like, there's literally nothing about Anchorage that feels like typical America, lower 48. I mean, you know, people still go to, like, Dave & Buster's for their entertainment. You know, <laughs> it's just like... It's almost like '90s America over there, um, but I, I think the fact of the just that I love how how strong and how deep the roots of Alaska culture is. You know, whether that's your Alaska native or even just you've just been in Alaska for years and years and years. You and your family, you know what I mean. There's just such a love for Alaska. Like you think, I mean, if you're thinking of like prideful states you know, I think New York comes to your your mind or Texas comes to your mind, you know, one that people just have the state printed out and have it on their wall. And that's like Alaska. Alaskans think that their state is the greatest. And you try to say something about like anytime I would say, oh, I'm from Texas. They're like, oh, did you know that we are three times the size of Texas? I'm like, yes, I did know that. (laughs) Um, So I just think kind of just how, how prideful everybody is and how just great and how um kind of just just how thrilled they are to be from alaska and they it's really it's really a pride thing because it really is it's it's most beautiful state but everybody does things so much different over there i mean when you think about even just planning for the winter like that's an actual thing that people don't have to do any other place in america like when you think stocking up for winter like you don't do that you know what i mean (laughs) like even if you're in even up up in you know northern New York where even temperatures get a bit colder than Anchorage that's still you know not a thing that you do so I think learning about just the different Alaskan traditions um was just so awesome and and the fact that there is that hunting season in the summer and you actually do have to stock up on the meat that you get to then actually be able to survive the winter when you're living in these villages um was just something that I really had to like wrap my head around when I first moved there. I was like what like people actually do that, and there was even one story that i that I reported on that there was you know this village that power was lost, so all of their frozen meat uh thawed and completely was ruined, and so then they didn't have enough food for the winter, so you know the state had to figure out what to do and how to get how to get supplies over there um and even just the, the coastal communities um, in, in Southeast Alaska, you know, there's one or two grocery stores and they're like mom and pop grocery stores. So you have to get everything else on a boat. So it's just a totally different way of living. And I think, you know, it's just such a shock when people kind of truly realize you know, what Alaskans like indoor you know, on a, just throughout the year. It's kind of crazy.
0: How did you get the job in Alaska?
1: Um, I just, it's called like tvjob.com, you know what I mean? And it just posts which openings. And I knew that I was going to, you know, go to a small market. I, it was actually a real struggle for me in terms of deciding what to do, because as you know, I like love New York city. I interned at NBC the whole time in college. And when you want to be, a when you want to be a producer, you know, everyone just stays there and then they get like a, you know, production assistant job, um, assistant producer job, you know, at the network, and then you kind of stay there and you move your way up. And I, it pained me to leave 30 Rock. Like it really did. (laughs) I like loved, I loved it there and I could see myself there forever. And so I really struggled after I went to grad school. I was like, should I come back and, you know, get one of those jobs and just stay in the building? and try and you know either stay a producer or try and finagle my way to a reporting position (laughs) um but everyone that i asked was like no like that's so hard to do like typically you cannot transition from a producer to a reporter you need to go to local local news so i was like okay i'll do that so i applied to all these places and i um i was alaska was honestly one of the first places i applied to and when I was just thinking of, you know, where do I want to go, you know, like a small town in Oklahoma just seems like so boring to, you know, anywhere, a small town in any middle of America, I was like, oh, like I've never lived in a small town. I always lived in, you know, pretty large cities and I was really dreading it. And then when I saw Alaska pop up, I was like, you know what, obviously Anchorage is a small town, but it's a small town in a different way. You know what I mean? At least Alaska is still a unique place and, uh, you know, a destination, at least a, you know, vacation destination for a lot of people. So I was like, you know, this might be cool. So I just applied for the hell of it. I was like, let's see what happens. And literally the day that I sent in my application, like via email to that news director, I got a response back um, asking for um, a phone call interview. And we did that like two days later. And then I was offered the job like five days later. So, and then they said, be there in three weeks. And, and then I moved there. I got all my stuff. My mom came with me. We flew to Alaska. And I mean, I had to just buy everything there because it was just, I couldn't ship anything. It was just too expensive. So, um, and then I started and I started in like the thick of winter too. It was like February. So it was a crazy time to move. Um, you know, my mom and I were like coming out of Bedpath and beyond in like, you know, thick snow pushing my cart full of all my stuff. It was pretty crazy. But yeah.
0: Was there ever a part in that car ride or just within those three weeks where you thought, what have I gotten myself into? Maybe I should have just gone to the middle of Oklahoma.
1: Oh my gosh, there totally was. It was actually once I got there, um, because my station was like the smallest state. Like, I wouldn't even be surprised. I mean, in terms of, you know, market sizes, there's like, I think markets go up to like 220 or something, but this was 150, um, you know, which is a normal, which is like a normal range to start, you know, on camera in, but but still my particular station was like, I swear, like the smallest station. I've. I mean, I mean, it, just, it was just such a, like, juxtaposition from, like, my last station being, like, working at NBC, and then coming to Alaska, where it was, like, a newsroom with, like, five people. Like, I mean, it was, it was just great. I, I also was kind of hired under false pretenses, if I'm being honest. I was hired as an MMJ, and so I, you know, was expected to be a one-man band and all of that, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I get there... And turns out, not only am I an MMJ, but I'm also a producer, like, helping produce the show. And then they were doing this thing at the time where you were anchoring your own block, which was so weird, um, because they had broken up Alaska into sections. So they're like, oh, by the way, Nicole, like, you're the coastal section. So I was like, what? So, like, my first day, I was literally at the anchor desk anchoring, you know, two blocks, actually, of, of the newscast. And I was like, like there was zero training period. There was zero, like, let's get you adjusted to all these, these new uh, programs. I mean, it was crazy. So it was, I was literally just like kind of thrown to the dogs the first day. And I, you know, eventually it was even uh, just, it took just a few months to then I was like full blown, like co-anchoring and producing, you know, the nine and 10 o'clock show. Um, And, you know, I just wanted to be an MMJ. (laughs) Like I didn't want all that pressure and I did not want to be producing. Uh, So I definitely, I mean, my mom was even there and I was like on the couch and I was freaking out. I was like, mom, like, like, should I have moved here? I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. Like the station is so small. I was like, (laughs) I was like, I don't think I'll be able to do this. I was really freaking out. And my mom was like, Nicole, like, calm down. Like, This will be an experience, you know, just give it time. Like, I'm sure three months from now, all of this will seem super easy to you. And, you know, you won't even think twice. So after I kind of freaked out a bit, I calmed down and she was right. You know, after it's just kind of crazy how fast you pick up on things and you're able to do things like a million times quicker than you were your first day when you started something. Um, So I'm really glad that I ended up kind of (laughs) persevering and sticking through it because there were so many times that you know, even just in terms of the management at that station, that I was like, I don't think I can handle this for two years. Um, but I did. And I'm super glad that I did. I was, you know, nervous in terms of like, where am I going to end up after this? Like, will it be worth it? And, you know, the fact that I, you know, made the the big jump from like 150 to market 27. I was like, okay, all right, Alaska was worth it.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, what's funny about all of that, it seems like you had less responsibility at the TV club at St. John's, and you did in Alaska, and usually it's the opposite. In college, you do everything, yeah. and then when you're at a station, you're in one, your pigeonhole.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I, was gonna say, I mean, I lucked out doing the <laughs> TV club because you know I, everybody in the back that was you know in actual TV production as like their major, <clears throat> you know, they handled everything. They wrote the scripts. They, you know, they, they even took you know whenever we would do like a a package, they even would send us with like a photog. <laughs> and so we literally would just be the reporter or we'd and then we'd sit down and then we'd read what was written for us you know what I mean and I always knew that that wasn't going to be the case and when I actually you know kind of got put there I always knew I'd be a one-man band but I was I you know in my internships in my when I because I also did local internships in the summers um, wherever we were living and so that was nice at least getting that that um you know on camera I mean that that um behind the scenes behind the camera experience of using using those cameras and you know putting together my own packages by myself. Um, so I, I knew that that's what I was expected of going into my whatever job that I was going to get. And so I felt comfortable doing that. But I mean, I was not comfortable producing my own newscast and anchoring the first day. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I had never once produced anything, you know what I mean? In terms of a newscast, I'd never, you know, been, I'd never written those. I mean, besides in in class, we would be taught how to write a VO and how to do a BOSA and all that sort of thing. But I never actually had to do it. I didn't know the keys to do it. I didn't know the, the format of how to format the show. Um, so it was, it was extremely intimidating. I was like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely crazy. I had a lot of responsibility and yeah, I mean, we even made the judgment calls of like what was going on the news. I mean, or, or what story we were doing that day, we really had zero guidance of, uh, in terms of that. So it was it was definitely crazy, and it, I was super annoyed at first, not going to lie. But at the end of it, I was really glad that I came out of it, you know, knowing how to produce, knowing how to anchor, and knowing how to report. As you know, whereas if I had just gone to another station, that probably never would have let me anchor, and I never would have produced because I just would have been the reporter. So it was kind of nice, you know, leaving your first station you know having experience in all three of those fields
0: what do you remember about your first night on air over there like what what were the stories um I I know that I mean I know I obviously understand what producing entails and all that I don't know if the audience particularly knows exactly what goes into producing so could you take me in as much detail as you can what you remember about that first
1: night Oh my god, that first night, I remember like I remember the news director being like, okay, so like find find like four stories um, you know, that are happening in coastal Alaska. Meanwhile, like pretty much all of Alaska, if you like <laughs> it was basically all on the coast, right? So it was like any of the cities that are on the coast. And find like four stories, write them, cut the VOs. Um, and I was like, okay, sounds good. So I'm doing it, whatever, you know, they're kind of teaching me, you know, how to, you know, insert, like take Nicole, take whatever, like take VO and then even how to like make the VO because granted, yes, I know how to edit, but this was my first time editing on EDIUS. So it's a totally new, you know, system for me. So it, everything took so long. And then afterwards he was like, okay, so like you're, you're okay to like read it. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? Like like on air. He's like, yeah, like you're going to anchor like this section of this block today. I was like, what? Like, I didn't have like my makeup with me. I didn't have like my curler. I was like, like, I was not expect." I mean, typically you're never on air the first day. Granted, I, now I know I should have been more prepared, right? Live and you learn. So I was like borrowing, you know, uh, my other coworkers, like makeup and like hair tools. And like, obviously I like, it takes a while to know also to like what makeup works for what lighting in the studio. So like, you know, my makeup at, in Anchorage for that studio could even possibly different than the makeup that I need for the Raleigh studio. Like you need to do tests, you know what I mean? And so there's just like a lot that kind of goes into it. And you even have to learn how to use like their scroller to like, I don't know if people know, but like not all stations, you have someone in the back that scrolls the teleprompter. Like you have to scroll it yourself a lot of times, which I actually prefer to scroll it myself, but each station has a different scroller you have to learn how it goes like you actually have to like practice it so i was like there's no way i'm gonna be able to go on so but i i did it i remember there was like some i don't know some fishing salmon story like (laughs) i don't even (laughs) really remember um i just i definitely remember there was something about fishing um i remember that i like didn't stutter so i was really happy at the end of that uh, at the end of you know being live that that happened but I mean if I watch it back now I was which I think I I did at some point I came across it I mean it's just terrible you know what I mean like totally like robotic I definitely talked too fast I didn't like the way my makeup looked. I didn't like my hair <laughs> like it's just so funny to look back and especially on how much I've like grown in how much I grew in those two years um it's just crazy I mean just like I'll look back at the St. John's TV club things and I'm like, "Oh my god, I was so awful." You know what I'll I mean? Like, at the time, we were like, "Oh yeah, we did like good." So, <laughs> so it's just funny just how much you grow after just, you know, repetition, you know?
0: I was the same way, and I would put so much pressure on myself to get a tape out there and start shipping it out to every market in the world. <laughs> um and I used to treat it like it was like it was, you know like primetime, CNN, whatever. Um, I mean, I know I did the sports, but yeah, like, oh man, I used to ki- I used to just beat myself up uh, if, I, if I flubbed one word., yes. and it's funny because I can watch live TV now, and obviously, uh, some of the reporters just ramble. Yeah. Uh, some of the anchors flub their words, and it's okay, and nobody cares. But because I was young and I didn't know any better, I thought you had to be perfect all the time. I, okay. This is how stupid I was. I thought you had to memorize your script. I didn't realize <laughs> that we had the capability of a teleprompter.
1: No way. Thought, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> that's so funny.
0: So I, I used to think, like Anderson Cooper, said, wow, this guy's a genius. Like, it's insane how intelligent he is and how he can memorize things. Um, so that, that's how dopey I was. Uh, I'm not as dopey now. Uh, you sent me a few stories uh, that, I, that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I know that they're Raleigh stories, so I know we're going back and forth. Um, so actually, let me just ask you that before we get to those stories. Uh, so what happens with Raleigh now? So your time is up now in Alaska, you're looking for other jobs, and Raleigh reaches out to you, or you so, reach out to you?
1: No, yeah, I was applying to them. So I was applying everywhere because I didn't know you know, where I would land, and um, it actually happens pretty Pretty quickly, I would say, I mean, within probably my first like two months, um, I was actually super annoyed because I, you know, again, like, to, you know, you want the highest market. And I actually, I applied to Vegas and I actually got a message back from Vegas, which I was super surprised about because their market, like, I don't know, I think it's like 39 or something. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to be flown down for an interview and, but they would have needed me to start sooner. Uh, then my contact was up and I asked my bosses like, Oh, could I, they only needed me like six weeks early. My bosses said no. And I was super annoyed. Cause I was like, you know, like high markets like that from 150, like don't come every day. So I was super annoyed and I was super bummed. Uh, you know, I threw a little fit, um, but <laughs> nothing happened. They still didn't let me out my contract. And, um, so I was like, man, I'm not going to get a better market than Vegas. Like this is so annoying. So then I started, you know, getting my other interviews were like, you know, markets like, I don't know, like 650, 60, 90, 80 for like different positions, whether they were like weekend anchor or reporter. And I still just wasn't thrilled with any of the cities. And I turned down a lot of offers. And, you know, when I was telling people, they're like, you know, are you sure you should have turned those offers down? And <laughs> cause I know like, I don't, you know, in this job industry, you can't really be picky all the time. And this was before Corona, mind you. So um, I was, but, but I would actually would say I, I still turned down an offer like, I think it was like a week before, like maybe like March 12th or something when, when like, you know, things really started getting really bad here. And I was like, oh wow, well now everyone's taking their job postings away. So I was worried. I was like, man, I think I I think I screwed up. It was like mid-March where I had already been unemployed for like 3 weeks. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think I was being a little too picky, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I was really getting nervous um because like I said I went to the in-person interview in February. I had I sent them. It works through like a recruiter, so I guess I had applied like probably in January. Um Vegas was already out the window. Um and I was I was like, you know what, let me just apply. This is Raleigh. I probably won't get it, but let me just try anyways. And um, then they ended up, the recruiter reached out to me and they actually, they made me do like a a mock package, which I was like, you guys have my reel. Like, why do I need to send a package? But they still made me go. They're like, go find a story that could be relevant to Raleigh. Um, so I went and did like a Special Olympics story because I knew they have like a chapter in in Raleigh and I love Special Olympics. I have a very good relationship with them in Alaska. So I did a story and then they made me send like two pitches in and I was like, okay, like hopefully this is okay. And that went well. So then I had a a call with them, um, with the news director that went well. And then they were like, okay, we're going to fly you down for an interview. And so then I was flown down maybe like two weeks later and it was such a long process. I had to be interviewed by like eight different people. It was pretty crazy in the (laughs) newsroom. And, um, but it was nice. They paid for like my flight, my hotel, everything. And, um, and then I flew home and I thought it went super great. Like I felt very confident at the end of that, that I was like, Oh, I'm like, I, I should be giving this job. <laughs> and then I never heard from them. I literally didn't hear from them for like eight weeks. And so they had told me I would know in like two weeks. And obviously I know Corona happened, but still there was like a good three week period before like Corona really got crazy here that I could have known about it, that I got secured the position. So like I said, you know, those weeks had passed and I was really regretting turning down the other jobs that I had turned down. And I was, you know, there were so many times that I would like call my mom and I'd be like upset and I'd be like, oh, like maybe I'm not even going to get a job until Corona's over. Um, But no joke, all of a sudden I woke up in the morning and there was an email uh, from the recruiter saying like, we have great news for you. But again, this was eight weeks later. And (laughs) so I call and I'm trying not to get my hopes up because I already had gotten my hopes up. Um, and yeah, and then he offered me the position and I took it, I accepted over the phone, you know, they didn't have to tell me twice. So yeah. And then I came, but it was definitely a crazy, crazy period. And applying to jobs is so hard. As you know, it's like, you know, you want to hold out for like the best one, but you don't know if that best one's going to come. So I ended up just getting really lucky that I ended up in a great market and with a great station. And I, I love the company too. Spectrum's been so great, especially too, during this whole coronavirus time, so it worked out, but I definitely was scared that it was not going to.
0: Which offers were you the closest to taking? Um,
1: I I did contemplate a weekend anchor job in Waco, um, which is market 80. So, I mean, typically from 150, it would have been totally fine to then go go to like an 80, you know what I mean? Especially for like a weekend anchor. Um and it's and it's and it's Waco. I'm you know I have family in San Antonio, so I really was close to taking it, um, but then I found out that the it that the the reporter part, which was during the week, um, was in Colleen. I believe that's the city, uh, which is there's like a military base there. My brother actually lives there because he's in the army. Um, but I did not want to. I did not want to be there for. I just not <laughs> I just wanted to be in a bigger city. You know what I mean? And so I will say I was being picky and probably more picky than I should have because you know there's obviously a million great reporters out there, you know, and I'm just a tiny fish in this big old pond. So I um, was definitely. I would say that was probably the closest one that I was that I had actually really thought about about taking there was even one in like scranton that came that off that was offered um first actually to be flown down there and that's a pretty i mean it's not a terrible market i think it's like in the 50s Mm -hmm. um it it might be early 60s i don't really remember now um but it was for like a night side reporter position um and i had thought about it but it was it was offered so early Like, I mean, within the first two weeks of me applying. And so I just wasn't sure if something else was going to come my way. Um, So, yeah, it just, I mean, applying is just so hard because you just never know what you're going to get and where you're going to land. It was definitely stressful, especially once the coronavirus came into play.
0: Well, thank goodness it worked out for you. Um, Yeah. Last thing I want to talk about is how you actually go about these stories, uh, a few stories that you sent me. There was one story that I really liked. Um, uh, it was the story about the engaged couple or the couple that got engaged during the protest. Um, and I know that I'm just painting it with a broad brush. Uh, mm-hmm. But basically, there was a viral video that went out um, and a gentleman proposed to his now fiance. They're expecting a child, I think, in the fall, right? Or the winter? Yeah, coming. Yes, yeah. Um, but it went viral on social media. I'm curious, how did you go about finding them? Like, do you reach out to the photographer first? you reach out to them? Like, how does it all happen?
1: It was actually really funny because, so my friend Alexis, do you know Alexis Coulter? She's from yep. St. John's. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so she, I'm still best friends with her. And she DM'd me, like, the story she heard from E because E had posted about it. She's like, it's in Raleigh. And I was like, what? And E, like, it, sometimes they don't tag the people in the photos, but E just mm-hmm. happened to tag the couple. So I was like, oh well, this is convenient. So they tagged the couple and I just DM'd um the the guy and he responded within like five minutes. So that was actually super easy. And then I ended up having like five other friends send me it, which was so funny. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm already like chatting with him. Um so yeah, so I set up the interview with the couple and then I was like, this would be great to have the photographer too um, through the the guy's Instagram. The photographer was tagged, so then I also DM'd him, and he also responded. And it was actually funny too because neither of them, like the three of them, had no idea where the actual proposal happened because everything was <laughs> yeah. Because like he's like, you know, I didn't have a spot planned; I just kind of did it. And in the picture, you can't really see, you know, you kind of see a few doors, and you can see these big metal, um, like columns almost. And but so I asked him, I was like, hey, I want to do the interview, like right where right where you actually proposed and they're like I don't know where that is so I like went around the newsroom I was like does anybody like who's from Raleigh you know and I was like does anybody recognize these doors and they're like oh I think that might be like by this museum and so they at least got us like in the general area and I was driving with my photog and I was like where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I was like, "Oh my gosh, there it is." It wasn't even like where we were <laughs> headed. And so we just pull over and coincidentally, it's so funny that none of us knew where this was because there's a giant globe. I mean, like this big <laughs> right to the right of where that photo was taken. So it was pretty humorous that we were all like, "Oh, how did we not remember this?" Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much how it, you know, I managed to set it up. That was so easy. I feel like social media makes things a lot easier nowadays. That's how a lot of the times I just DM people now when I, <laughs> to try and set stories up instead of trying to find their phone number. Um, so yeah, that was super, super simple, honestly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but where do you get your news from? Do you read the papers as soon as you wake up in the morning? Are you pitched ideas? Do you have to do the pitching? How does that all shake
1: out? So we have an assignment desk, which is so nice because in Alaska, like, we did not have assignment desk. <laughs> And we had to find everything. So they, a lot of the times find our stories, but every day we are expected to pitch a story. Um, and we actually have to send it in a day a day ahead of time. So by 11 o'clock the day before. Um, so, and I don't know how I find them. I, I really, just from meeting people and, and even just social media, like I just said, there's so many different ideas that you can get from there or just like, I feel like a lot of times too, when you're at one story, one story can lead to a contact for another story. Um, and spectrum too, we do a lot of like good news, um, which, which I actually really like, there were some stations that I was interviewing for that they were like, oh, we only do hard news, like only hard news, like no community pieces, nothing. And like, I, you know, I can appreciate that in some capacity. Like I get it. You know what I mean? Like I love covering my hard news pieces and I love political pieces. Like, My master's is in government politics. I'd love to one day be like a White House reporter. But, um, you know, I feel like when I ask people, so many people our age don't watch the news and I ask them why and they either say they think it's one-sided or two, it's just so much bad news and they don't want to see, you know, a death count of the day of who died in what car accident and, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I actually really like that Spectrum does these community pieces and it actually makes it a lot easier in terms of pitching stories because like, I was just at the farmer's market the other day um last weekend and i uh like came across this lady selling cookies and she um her son has like a ton of food allergies and she couldn't find any snacks or treats or sweets to give to her son without him having a reaction so she took it upon herself to make um to make cookies for her son like homemade cookies without any of these you know common allergens And then she turned it into a business. And so she's selling it at the farmers market. And like, that's a story that Spectrum would actually like. (laughs) And so that's, you know, I feel like when your station kind of allows you to do pieces like that, it actually makes it easier to like pitch these stories. Cause that's just something that you find just talking to people. You know what I mean? Like I was like, Oh, how did this come about? And then she told me and I was like, you know, this could be a story. Um, and then of course, if there's something like, most of the, especially recently, like any of the stories that you know we haven't even the last two weeks haven't even really had to pitch stories because the stories just fall into our lap with the protests and everything that's going on um and so obviously, all of those you know are are the stories that we do as opposed to these fluff pieces, so we haven't actually had a lot of fluff pieces on recently um but yeah, so it's definitely a good mix. It's like, you know, you have to pitch the story and it either gets approved or it's not. And even if it gets approved, it doesn't mean that's what that's what you're doing the next day. That just means it's gonna go like in a running story sheet that you can either work on like now or later in the week, depending on what yeah. other stories come our way. Um, but like last week, like the majority of the stories came from the assignment desk and they're like, okay, you're going to go cover this. And, you know, I did my Juneteenth story and, and that one wasn't technically assigned to me. There's just, we have a story meeting too, where people just bring up things that they know that are come that are going on in the community. And we found out that, um, you know, this organization is going to the oldest cemetery in Raleigh to clean it up for Juneteenth. And I was like, I want that one. So, um, so I did a story on it. So sometimes it just works that way. It's nice that it's in, at least for, for my station, it's, uh, you know, everyone kind of works together to help piece the story. So it's kind of nice.
0: And that story that you just mentioned, too, uh, the gentleman that you interviewed, Grady Bussey, um, I, you, if you see the piece, or if you if you watch the piece, um, I know that it was shot in his car, you go to the cemetery, um, You you go and meet the guy, I'm assuming he was very grateful that it was being covered. Um, and I'm assuming that he was grateful that you were there and and asking the questions that you did. Uh, I'm curious, when you're doing a story like that, especially on Juneteenth, do you you internalize or do you know um, the gravity of the subject going into it? Because it's a pretty heavy piece.
1: For sure, oh no, definitely, yeah, I mean, you know, also the reason why we had so many Juneteenth packages that day, and you know, mine just happened to be on this event. But there was another reporter's package on the fact that you know so many people don't know what Juneteenth is, you know, and uh, or in some did just like the history of it. So we we kind of attacked it from different angles, and for sure, you know, and and that's something we we talked about, and he talked about. He's he's actually from Long Island, uh, which is oh, wow. funny, yeah. And he said, you know, they don't learn about Juneteenth in in school, and it's not in our history books, and. I've known, what, I've known what Juneteenth is for quite some time, but not, you know, not as long as I should have. I think I probably learned about it in college, I think in one of my classes, honestly. Um, but, you know, I definitely, you know, going into any story, you know, especially on such a like heavy topic, you know, you have to know, you know, you, know, you have to know what it is and, and the details and the facts and what it means to the people that, that you're interviewing. You know, and obviously you're never going to fully understand it to that capacity, depending on what the topic is, Um, but you definitely have to have a knowledge going in. Um, And therefore, you know, it helps you craft the story in the way that you want it to be, you know, to be impactful for viewers. And, you know, so that the person that you're interviewing can be proud of that piece as well, you know.
0: And then I I know I said last thing before, but this will be the really last thing. Uh, Cause you brought it up earlier. Uh, you mentioned that, um, you know, maybe down the road politics is a, a route that you go um, maybe a white house correspondent route, something like that. Uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, I don't like being in the same place more than once, but for you, is there something and now listen, the white house is the white house, yeah. uh, but there are other beats that are out there too. Um, it, was that always something to you like that? You just want to stay consistent. Like you would just want a consistent beat.
1: No, I don't think I'd want a consistent beat. I think, you know, it just, it just depends. I mean, I know a lot of the times, especially, I mean, I I just know most about NBC just because I was there. So I'll just use that as an example. But, you know, like Savannah Guthrie, she was the White House correspondent before, you know, being at the position that she was now. And I feel like a lot of them end up, you know, then kind of after they've been there for quite a few years as the White House correspondent, then they bring them on to be the anchor. And so then your, your stories kind of you know, then, then there's more of a range of your pieces. Um, but no, I definitely like there to be a good mix. Like I, I wouldn't really, especially, you know, in local markets too, there's some people that are just the political reporter and I feel like that's great. It's nice because you get to perfect kind of that skill and that reporting and you know everybody and everybody knows you so well and it makes finding your stories so much easier because you know what you're doing every day, at least the topic, you know what I mean? So that's kind of nice. Um, but I do like doing a range of stories like you know I'm kind of the happiest when like you know one one day one day of the week it's like a super hard news story and I'm covering like a murder trial or something and then the next day it's a you know special olympics community piece and then the next day it's it's an education piece so I kind of like you know I, I really do like having a broad range of pieces that I'm covering, um, just because that's kind of who I am as a person, too. I just have so many, like, interests that, that I do think that I'd be bored kind of doing the same thing, but in terms of, you know, going on, if I were to, you know, get to that point where I could be, like, a political correspondent, I would love it, you know what I mean, so.
0: Would you hate- Hmm. let me let me figure out how I can ask this question uh, like, like let's say down the road one day you're at the White House you're one of those correspondents as well too I don't know if we'll ever get a president like Trump again um, and who knows he could get reelected and you could be there you know for the next four years whatever um, do you think that the coverage of the president is vastly going to change regardless of Trump wins or if, if Biden wins uh, and how their access to the media is going to be um, you know I I'd like to think that if Biden wins, everything will just go back to, quote, normal, if there ever was a normal, but certainly more of the norm. Um, What do you think about the landscape of that?
1: Gosh, I don't know. That's such a hard question. Um, I don't know. That's really hard to to say. But it has been crazy, uh, you know, the last four years in terms of, I feel like, you know, the media has always, there's always been people that have hated the media and hated reporters. You know, it just kind of comes with territory and you're always going to have, especially once you're at the network level, you, you know, half people, half the people are going to hate you just because you're with whatever ever affiliate. Um, but, you know, I really hope that, that the stigma of fake news goes away, you know, <laughs> because that's something that I really don't like. You know what I mean? Yes, of course, there's there's going to be some outlets, and I don't even mean in terms, I just mean even the online outlets, you know, that are going to, to spew fake news. Um, but I think that the general kind of view that everybody, with the exception of the Republican media outlets, you know, that have claimed to be Republican, um, You know that everybody else besides them are fake news you know i kind of feel like that's extremely unfair and i just i just hate i've never seen so many like memes or posts about fake news in my life and you know it's kind of annoying you know like yes obviously there's going to be some networks that lean certain ways which you know i wish wasn't the case and i wish that it could just be non-biased everywhere but obviously that's just not the landscape of american media right now um but, you know, there are plenty that are. And I think that that was also something that I that I had to deal with in Alaska. Spectrum's a little, a little better because we're not an affiliate. So we don't have that kind of, like, people don't have that. We don't have that kind of stigma on us depending on what brand is on our our, our patch, you know what I mean, on our jacket. Um, but, you know, even being a red state, you know, if you show up to a protest, protesting, um, protesting uh like the pebble mine in alaska you know these environmental protests and i show up with my abc like i have abc fox alaska but one of the patches is fox alaska and people are like oh we don't want to talk to your fox you know and it's just really annoying (laughs) because like you know also too i feel like people don't realize the difference between networks and affiliates and affiliates i mean you know there's yes there's like political commentary on Fox just as there is on MSNBC. But like, we don't have that as local affiliates. We are just giving you the facts and, you know, we're not one-sided. And um, I just feel, you know, it's, it's just kind of like disheartening when people are like, oh, I don't want to talk to you because you're Fox. I don't want to talk to you because you're NBC. So it's it's just something that, you know, you, comes with the territory, I guess. Um, but yeah, that whole emphasis just on fake news is, it's just getting old and I hope what, that it goes away.
0: What do you say to people when they say that to you? Like do you just okay, thank you and move on or
1: No, I do tell them. I'm <laughs> I tell them, you know, A, you know, ABC Fox, like okay, if you don't like Fox, you know, that's your prerogative, totally fine. Um but we are not Fox. You know, we're not the Fox that you see when you turn on Fox. Like we are an affiliate and we're, we're not even run by Fox. You know, we have a different company that owns us, you know, we're just an affiliate. (laughs) I was like, so it's just totally different. You know, that, so that, that's just what I I try to explain to them in like the simplest terms that like they, we are, we are two separate things, all the affiliate, and not just us, but everywhere in America, like we are two separate things. You know, it's different when it, you know, of course, you know, like Fox LA, that's more of a connection of Fox It's owned by Fox and like the ABC in LA and New York is owned by ABC. But, you know, besides LA, Chicago, Philadelphia, besides the really top, top markets, we're all owned by, by companies. And a lot of the times the Fox in San Antonio is owned by the same company that owns the NBC in Austin, you know, for instance. So it doesn't work that way for affiliates. And I, I always just try to tell, my friends and family that because they think the same thing you know like my my you know the family that that watches the side of the family that watches fox they're like oh we want you on a fox affiliate and then the family that watches nbc want me on an nbc affiliate and i was like guys it doesn't make a difference like it does not work that way
0: right yeah no definitely well listen this was fun catching up um (laughs) and i'm glad that we got to do this and you know i really learned a lot about how it works on the local scene and all that so uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and, and denigrating yourself to just chatting with me for about an
1: hour for sure thank you so much I appreciate it and thanks again for having me on it's been fun
0: once again a special thanks to Nicole for hopping on the pod if you like this one be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes and leave a little rating you could leave a little description there you could write a review it would make me feel better and you can check it out obviously on iTunes Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from It also helps with the metrics. I'll have you know, I am huge internationally. I'm very liberal with the term huge. Anyway, that's my spiel. We'll see you next time.